Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome, fellow time travelers. Well, here we are at the end of our first journey together. And I stress our first journey. That's episode 100, uh, the last in the season, if we were a box set. Amazing, travelling right across and around the British Isles, crisscrossing north, south, east and west through a million years of history. Quite a journey, really, and all of it packaged up in what looks from space like a fairly small plot of dry land. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. I love talking about this place. Uh, And for the last two years got Paul and I through lockdown uh, and beyond. That's how it started. Uh, But now that we've got it up and running, we propose to continue. Lots of time and effort, but I have to say what's made it all worthwhile is having you along for the listen. Uh, So a huge thanks, the biggest thanks possible to everyone who's been with Paul and I as we have contemplated our love for the British Isles. It would have been pretty lonely without you. I think we'd still have done it though, but it would have been lonely. So thank you. Uh, To give the series a good send-off, next week I'll do a wrap-up, a conclusion of sorts. And the week after that, uh, we'll do a special uh, where we'll take questions from you, my fellow time travellers. So I'm I'm hoping to be confronted by all sorts of unexpected curiosity. Uh, I give out the email address at the end of today's episode, uh, or you can find it on the series Instagram account or on my YouTube channel. So send in your questions and I'll answer as many as possible. One other bit of housekeeping. I'm delighted to tell you the big news is there will be a season two. Of course there will be. Uh, We're finalising the details now, uh, but it will follow on seamlessly and there should be another hundred episodes in the season to come. So that should get us through another couple of years. I'd also like to say a huge thanks to everyone who's given the podcast their help and support by joining my Patreon site. I really appreciate that. So thank you to every one of those subscribers. Right, back to today. Fanfare and drumroll, please. It's the final stop on my love letter to the British Isles. So, for one last time, for the moment, cue the music. It won't be here forever. And no doubt at some point, In the distant future, it will be no more. So it will be gone sooner or later, and I would rather it were much later. 
In this episode, we're walking along a wind-blown, storm-washed shingle headland that's full of sky and sound and that has left a permanent mark on me. Like all the places in my love letter to the British Isles, it's somewhere that has seeped into my very soul. Artists, photographers, dog walkers and pop stars, bird watchers, fishermen and people like you and me all come here seeking inspiration, peace or just their supper. A fragile feeling place full of beauty that's a reminder of where we stand in the world. Like the British Isles themselves, we are all at nature's mercy. I'm stepping out across Britain to discover 100 remarkable places that have shaped you, me and the whole world. I'm Neil Oliver and this is my love letter to the British Isles. In the last episode, we scaled the walls of a fortress that's packed to bursting with the good, the bad and the gruesome. Where are we in this, the hundredth episode? Well, it's almost certainly appropriate, I would say, that we're on the coast for the last episode because the coast has been a defining part of what makes these islands what they are and the people, who they are, what they are. We're looking out to sea on the breathtaking shingle spit called Dungeness Headland in Kent. Well, for uh, for the hundredth part of the love letter to the British Isles, we're in a place that I bet no one could have predicted. Um, it, even to me, it seems unlikely. It is, in fact, Dungeness Headland. having been asked over and over again for the places that people should go. People used to stop me in the street all the time. They still do. And say, you've been all over Britain. Where are the best places to visit? And it used to throw me for a loop. Quite often I couldn't think of anywhere. You know, when someone says, what's your favourite film? And briefly, you can't think of any films at all. Never mind your favourite. Well, it was a bit like that. So I used to fumble my way through the answers. And the love letter is the proper answer to the question. And I used to say to people that of all the places, of all the thousands of places that I've visited, the places that are here in the love letter, it's like when I closed my eyes, these were the hundred lights that stayed on, that kind of lingered behind my eyelids. These were the ones that didn't go out. And I don't even really know why all of them registered and resonate with me the way that they do. Some are quite obvious, I suppose, but some of them are a bit odd. Uh, and I'm not sure why they mean to me what they mean. But Dungeness Headland is right up there. I find it an unforgettable place. I was struck by it the first moment I saw it. And it's one of those places that I find it very easy when I'm elsewhere. I can close my eyes and be on Dungeness Headland. It's a very, very vivid snapshot that my brain took. The camera in my brain took a very, very well-lit photograph of Dungeness Headland, and I can see it clearly. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I, I suppose people often feel about their homeland the way that I do, which is to say that the most unforgettable places in the British archipelago are to me the most unforgettable places full stop. 
There are places, many places around the world that I've seen that are unforgettable, but none of them eclipse my most unforgettable places in the British archipelago. Perhaps it's because I've seen lots of them multiple times, and so they're more deeply engraved, I suppose. They're more, more ingrained in me. with something you've talked about before, about how archaeologists can analyse human bones to tell us where that person actually grew up. Yes, that's right. Teeth, actually. It's teeth that do the magic. Uh, tooth enamel. Your teeth grow in your jawbone. You know, even, even while you're a child with baby teeth, your adult teeth are forming. Your teeth are in you for quite a long time before they emerge. Your baby teeth too. I mean, most people are born toothless and the first set of teeth come through and then the, the second set of teeth come through behind. So your your tooth enamel has quite a long time to develop in you, inside you. And scientists have known for a long time that tooth enamel absorbs elements from the water and the food that we eat and drink. People used to, you know, in, in especially in the past, you know, people might spend their entire lives in the one location, you know, never really straying more than, you know, a few miles from home. And so they would be born and they would they would drink the water from the local rivers and springs and wells and they would eat the food that grew on that soil. And so the place where they grew up would literally become part of them. And it's, and it's still true now. I mean, a lot of us, most of us, maybe spend most of our childhoods maybe in more or less the same place. You know, you might move house a bit in the same town, but a lot of people still have some of their formative years in one place. And it means that if you then go off to another part of the world, a thousand years from now, archaeologists could examine your teeth and based on the isotopes that they find fixed within your tooth enamel, they can find out where you had your childhood. So if they find someone buried in Shanghai and they analyse the tooth enamel, they would, they would still find out that you had grown up in Doncaster, <laughs> you know, or whatever, and they would know that I had grown up in the, in the west of Scotland. We always think of the places where we live moulding us, our psyches, souls, minds, spirits, all that stuff. But it's fascinating to think that it's also physically changing us too. Yeah, you actually become, you, you are made of the place where you grow up. It literally becomes part of you. You, you, you know, so your tie to, to where you spend your childhood is physical. And it's there in your very being. Uh, and, I mean, we're, we're changed all the time. Uh, you know, you're, you're tanned by the sun, your hair is bleached. In every conceivable way, places soak into us. You know, as well as absorbing elements into our teeth, you soak up the place in your consciousness, in your unconsciousness, and you acquire an accent. You know, if you took a little Zulu baby and, and he, he grew up in Glasgow, he would sound like me. <laughs> And likewise, you know, somebody born in New York City but magicked away to Beijing would grow up, you know, with that sound. It's a, fasc it's a fascinating thing that every, every baby's born able to make all the sounds that are required by every language on Earth. And in that babbling period that babies go through before they learn to speak, 
they make all the all the necessary sounds. It's just that as you grow up, wherever you grow up, and you learn the language of your your mother tongue, all the unnecessary sounds fall away from you. But there's this brief period when you could be anyone. You could make the right sounds to make any language. You know, we come with this very open source tabula rasa ability to to be made by the people we grow up among, the sounds that we hear, and and also we acquire the stuff of the food that we eat and the liquids that we drink. We are made of home. You know, so that feeling that people feel for home, some of it's psychological, but some of it is physical, which I think is quite lovely, actually. As your life goes on, some places get to you later. All the time. You know, a hundred-year-old woman turning up somewhere for the first time in, in a new place, it, it could make an indelible impression on her. You know, you've, you've always got that facility to be to be affected by a place or not. And some places just get to us. And others don't. And it's a, it's a strange, very personal, eclectic thing. You and I could go and visit some location this afternoon, previously unknown to both of us, and I might be changed by it forever. And for you, it might be somewhere unremarkable or vice versa. It just depends on each one of us. You know, the Celtic tradition is that there are thin places in the landscape, uh, and by which they mean that the separation between this world and the next is thin. Uh, so that in the Celtic tradition, they, there's a belief that in some places you can... In some places, the separation between this world and the next is a wall 10 feet thick. In other places, it's a gossamer curtain. And they say that explains why some people glimpse ghosts or, or, or have experiences. It's because they've turned up in a thin place. And I, and I think some places that we go to, it's we who are thin. You know, some places just get through our skin and become part of us. In other places, we're impervious to it's just part of the human condition. And I, I don't know what it is about... I'll never be able to satisfactorily explain even to myself why I feel the way I do about Dungeness. I mean, I know, I know some of why it matters to me. I mean, for people that don't know what it is, it's, a, it's one of the largest spits of shingle in Europe. You know, it's a spread of rounded pebbles. Shingle. Uh, that have been dumped there. It's temporary. It's been it's been deposited there by the action of the sea, and it's being moved around. Some years there's more of it. Some years there's less of it. You know, it's constantly at the mercy of the wind and the and the weather. And so it's it's wind blown. It's storm washed. It's a, a headland. The nest bit of Dungeness suggests a nose etymologically. So it's like a nose of land poking into the sea. That's what anywhere with Ness in it has that meaning. We talked about the Ness of Brodgar up in uh, Orkney. That was you know, one of the places earlier in, in the love letter. And Same thing, the Ness, the nose. And as I said before, it's just so easy for me to close my eyes and see it. And when I do, I see primary colours. The times that I have been there, it's been topped by a brilliant blue sky. Above the shingle and the blue of the water, I see a blue sky. And in my memory, there's, a, there's an endless horizon about it. You know, there's no trees, it's flat. It's horizontal lines 
separating land and sea and sky and it's the blue when I close my eyes I see this blue that's you know that almost hurts to look at and it's also an auditory audible memory you know what it's like when you walk on a shingle beach it's that crunch 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 of the pebbles slipping and sliding under your feet so I, and that kind of that sensation of like two steps forward one step back especially when you try to go up, up an incline you're just sliding back all the time and so I, I, rem- I remember all of that. And, and also, when you're standing still, you can hear the sea rolling the, the shingle around, which is what makes the shingle shingle. That's why they're perfectly smooth pebbles, because they're, they're constantly in the, in the washing machine of the ocean. And so it's, it's very much something that when I, you know, when I have my eyes closed, I can hear Dungeness. The people that live there, and there are people who live there, it's called the Ness. Uh, that's the, the shorthand for it. It's a site of special scientific interest, a triple SI, as the scientific types call it, because of its geomorphology, the, the land form itself, but also because of the very varied plant and animal life. At first sight, you know, like you, you watch a David Attenborough documentary about a, a desert, and at first glance it looks like sterile. But then when you look closer, it's actually alive you know it's thick with life some of these places in, in the most unexpected ways well likewise you look at Dungeness at first and it looks like well it looks like what it is which is an expanse of pebbles it's actually an incredibly rich environment more than 600 plant species are growing there and that's a third of all the plant species that are found anywhere in the British archipelago a third of all of it is represented there on Dungeness. There's also all manner of insect life, bees and beetles and moths and spiders. The place is crawling with life. Hence its significance, hence its triple SI status. You get there via two roads. Two roads terminate in Dungeness. One comes along the coast from New Romney and the other comes in from Lyd. But famously, anyone that's been to, to Dungeness will remember the little railway line, the little railway tracks, and it's a little, well, a 15-inch gauge light railway, like a toy, like the sort of thing you'd see in, a, in, a, in Disneyland or something. It's this toy, a small train. So that's the Romney, Hythe and Dimchurch light railway. It's just another world. That's one of the reasons that it's memorable for me. It has about a sensation of having left real Britain behind and stepped into, I don't know, a dreamscape. It looks like the setting for a dream. And people are drawn to it. Anytime I've been there, there are always people, quite often dotted around, you know, just people on their own, lone walkers, creative types, artists with easels and canvases, photographers, people walking their dogs. You'll have seen it, knowingly or not, in the backdrops of album covers. Well, back in the days when albums had covers. There is a revival, a vinyl revival. <laughs> there is. There is. I've still, I've still got my vinyl collection. And that used to be, that used to be a big thing, the album cover. And, uh, well, back in the day, let's say, it, was a, it still is. You know, fashion shoots and all sorts. Because I think it's because of the striking contrast that you get and it's a, a particular quality of light that's highly changeable, obviously, depending on the weather. 
but all, all sorts of folk go there for their publicity shots. People go to fish, guys standing with rods, fishing off the shore, and some, some people just go for the peace and the quiet. There are permanent residents. There's not really much in the way of what you would call houses. There's little cottages and shacks. A lot of them are actually made from abandoned railway carriages and boats, you know, uh, <laughs> repurposed. So there's, there's all sorts of odd... Uh, there's an eclectic mix of architecture, let's say. Everyone down there has a little boat, and there's usually boats of one sort or another that have been pulled up the shingle and they're, you know, sort of parked outside people's houses. Very famously, well, I say famously, I suppose, for the cognoscenti or those interested, Derek Jarman, filmmaker, he lived there. He bought a house, one of these wee cottages in 1986, and, and he lived there until his, his sad and premature death. Uh, his cottage is called Prospect Cottage, and it is, it's lovely. It's shiplap, you know that timber overlapping. The ability to build a boat, you know, boards overlapping, they call it shiplap. Painted black with uh, buttercup yellow window frames. Have you seen it? Have you been to Jarman's Cottage? I have stayed next door, mate. Have you? Yeah. You stayed next door to it? Yeah. Oh, I've only ever walked, I've only ever walked around it. It's very, it's very striking. And uh, on it, there's lines from uh, a poem by John Donne, a poem called Sun Rising, written on the side of the, of one gable end. Busy old fool, unruly son, why dost thou thus, through windows and through curtains, call on us? Thine age asks ease, and since thy duties be to warm the world, that's done in warming us. Shine here to us, and thou art everywhere. This bed thy centre is, these walls thy sphere. And people go and look at the cottage, but really it's famous for the garden. Jarman created, it's a shingle, you know, there's plants and little shrubs and whatever growing in amongst the shingle. But really it's the sculptures that, that are famous, the driftwood and scrap metal and all sorts of eccentricities that are dotted about around the little postage stamp patch of land that the, that the little cottage sits on. And it's now a, it's a tourist attraction. People come looking for it. People go looking for the homes where famous people lived. It's like the blue plaque thing. People want to go and tick them off. But Jarman's is a bit, it's a bit special. And so in amongst all the curious sculptures, there's colour from the plants, dock flowers, uh, sea peas, purple sea kale, yellow horned poppies. So if you go at the, at the right time, there's, a, there's real splashes of, of colour there. On a more, a, I don't know, prosaic note, Dungeness is also famous for uh, two nuclear power stations. It's so incongruous. Dungeness is so odd. Odd's another thing about it. It's definitely odd. So there's two nuclear power stations at the end, right out on the point. The first of them, or the oldest rather, first to be built, has, has been decommissioned. But Dungeness B, well, the last time I was there anyway, it was still, it was still thrumming away. Although I, I, would, I would have imagined that its, um, its, its days are probably numbered. And you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think, God, no, I'm not going there, not if there's two nuclear power stations. But honestly, Dungeness even makes room for them. So, so some, somehow or other, they don't even seem out of place. It's really odd, or, or that's the way it struck me. You telegraph poles and, and electricity pylons, because obviously the, the energy generated by the nuclear power stations has to be transported magically away from the power stations so there are power lines and pylons but again it's more of the way in which everywhere you look there are just these unexpected sometimes jarring comings together of the natural 
and then the straight lines of electricity pylons or the overhead cables or, or you or you glimpse the railway tracks or you see the the higgledy piggledy structures that people have built and that some people live in for anyone interested in making art and making photography there's a, there's an image everywhere you look you know all these lines and and thrown against bright colors of the sky and All in all, there's this feeling of fragility about the Ness. I think that's another word, you know, so otherworldly, dreamlike, odd, but also fragile. It's just, it's magical. There's another word for it. And everywhere everywhere you're aware of the English Channel, it's the English Channel, that's what the sea is there. There's this constant presence of the noise of the sea. Dungeness has got famously extreme weather in summertime, in a decent summertime it can be so dry that some people will tell you it's a desert that's those places that fall below a, a, a sort of minimum threshold of precipitation it doesn't it doesn't actually, if you look it up Dungeness doesn't actually qualify but some people will take you aside and tell you that Dungeness is actually a desert but it's not not in the geographical geophysical sense of the word and then in winter it's wicked cold because it's totally exposed to the sea and to the wind thereof. So there in the wintertime, it can be biting cold. And here it is, here's the thing. Dungeness, like no other place, I suppose, says something to me about the fragility, not just of the Ness, but of Britain itself. I spend a lot of my time on the coast looking out. When I used to go there with, well, even when, when my wife, my now wife, was, was my girlfriend... So when we were back in our teens, she observed once that when we were on a beach, she instinctively looked inland and I instinctively looked out at the sea. And we used to laugh about the fact that, you know, opposites attract and all that. So I, I'm always looking out at the water. And I think it's because in lots of places, but nowhere more strongly than at Dungeness, I get a sense of the fact that Britain is constantly being reshaped and made and unmade. I've said it before, the coast is fascinating because it's so dynamic, because we have this picture that we carry in our heads of what the British archipelago looks like. It's kind of like the weather forecast map. We think we know the shape of Britain, but the reality is it's never like that. It's being remade with every wave that breaks. Something's being added, something's being taken away, and Dungeness is being eroded. It's constantly at the mercy of the sea. There's always the possibility that it's going to be taken away. And I think about that because we're this island race, we've stood defiant against invasions, or that's what we tell ourselves, that part of the the British character was traditionally a kind of a defiance. You know that at the the opening credits of Dad's Army? You know, you saw the, the German arrows that reach as far as the English Channel and but they can't get across and there's the little plucky British flag facing back the other way. It's famed for that and I think one of the arrows is pretty much sliding over Dungeness on that little map in the Dad's Army credits. But what Dungeness says to me is that Britain's not forever in the same way that no place is forever. Come back in a million years' time or, or some unspecified period of time and it will all be different. So there's this reminder I think 
when you're standing in a place like Dungeness, while you might think that, that Britain has always been here and always will be here, well, it ain't necessarily so, and it's it's always a work in progress, and it's up to nature what happens next. More of the poem by John Donne is Love all alike, no season knows nor climb, nor hours, days, months, which are the rags of time. You know, I would say that we are the rags of time. Our generation, our time here, you know, we're the, we're the loose threads dangling off of the fabric of the British archipelago. It won't be here forever. And no doubt at some point in the distant future, it will be no more. So it will be gone sooner or later, and I would rather it were much later. Next week, I'll be drawing all the themes of the series and its million years of history together. I guess you'd call it a conclusion, but it'll be a very personal one. And the week after that, it's your turn. So if you have any questions about or inspired by this podcast, send them via email to neiloliverpodcast at gmail.com. That's neiloliverpodcast, all lowercase, all one word, at gmail.com and we'll include as many as possible in the special episode. To help support this podcast and to get access to new and exclusive history and comment videos every week, sign up to my Neil Oliver Patreon site. It would be great to see you there. Check out the Instagram account called Neil Oliver Love Letter and my YouTube channel, simply called The Neil Oliver Channel. And please write a review of this week's podcast and share it with your friends. For further reading about these favourite destinations of mine, you could try my book. It's called The Story of the British Isles in 100 Places, and it's published by Transworld. Neil Oliver's love letter to the British Isles is produced by Paul Ratcliffe and Neil Oliver for Fat Belly Films. Music is by Malcolm Goldie. Social media producer is Oscar CFR. Additional research is by Evie, Lucian, Archie and Teddy. Finance is by Catherine and Trudy. Post-production is by Althorpe Studios and the graphics are by Paul Plowman. And special thanks to the people across history who have made and continue to make these isles such an incredible place. This has been an FBF Podcasts production. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. 
Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.